Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Consumer Review Report. I'm Diane Rebecca here on WMCK.FM Internet Radio, a service of Tube City Online, Tube City Community Media. So welcome back to another show. We are on the March 15th, 2020 edition of the show. And uh, I always have to say the date because when I do these recalls, um, I want them to be as recent as possible. But sometimes I rebroadcast these shows later on, you know, to uh, fill time maybe one day. And uh, I don't want people to be scared that these recalls are ongoing or they are for that particular day. So that's why I've been trying to make sure that I... Uh, tell you what the date is and then that way you'll know these recalls were old if these shows are rebroadcasted. All right so if anybody has any ideas on any products or services that they would like to hear on the show because we do deal with consumer issues so any products or service ideas that you might have you can email me at uh, consumer review report at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. Also, if you have any comments on any products or service that you have heard on the show, or if you've used any of the products or services that we you might hear about on the show and you would like to tell us whether you liked it, whether you did not, and why, you can also email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also at Facebook at uh, Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. All right, so this uh, week's show, I figured we would talk about shoes. Now, not your typical shoe, but since... uh, the Olympics are coming up. You might have heard a lot about Nike in the news in the past month or so because of an innovative new running shoe that they came out with. And the reason why it's causing so much controversy, it is so innovative, in fact, that a fellow by the name of Iliad Kipkochi in October ran a marathon, 26.2 miles, in under two hours, which nobody has ever been able to do before, and he was wearing these shoes. And so everybody was like, well, is this mechanical doping? Um, You know, uh, this is going to provide an unfair advantage uh, to the other contestants uh, because they're not wearing those shoes. Uh, So all this was going on since... um, They also had the Olympic trials, I don't know, a couple weeks ago or so. I'll go over that later in the show. But, you know, they're saying, well, it might be unfair, you know, that that some people have the advantage of wearing these Nike Vaporfly shoes or Alpha Fly shoes. And, well, you would say to yourself, well, why doesn't everybody just wear them? Well, in the Olympics, um, some people... Uh, are sponsored by certain shoe manufacturers. So Iliad Kipkochi might be uh, sponsored by Nike, and of course he would wear Nike shoes. Other people would be 
sponsored by, let's say, New Balance or Saucony. Well, they have to wear those shoes that those uh, companies provide them. They can't just say, you know, I don't want to wear your shoe. I'm going to wear Nike Vaporfly. And uh, <clears throat> then they won't get paid by their sponsor, the, by their sponsored uh, shoe company. So that's what the all the controversy is about. And we'll talk more about that. But for now, we're going to get to the recalls. So let's go ahead and start those. All right. So we have, um, let's see, we have how many consumer product reviews? I think we have about four of those. But so um, let's go ahead and get to those. And we'll be starting with ikea so let's go ahead and down there and try to find ikea okay we got more actually than four consumer product recalls but let's go ahead and get to those ikea recalls cullen three drawer chests due to tip over and entrapment hazards consumer urged to anchor chests or return for refund the recall chest is unstable if it is not anchored to the wall posing tip over and entrapment hazards that may result in death or serious injuries to children. Uh, they do not comply with the performance requirements of the updated version of the U.S. Consensus Standard. RH recalls floor lamps due to fire hazard. The lamp's on-off foot switch can overheat, melt, or catch fire, posing a fire hazard. Jules USA recalls children's pajamas and robes due to violation of federal flammability standard. It's a burn hazard. The children's garments fail to meet the federal flammability standard for children's sleepwear, posing a risk of burn injuries to children. Echo recalls backpack blowers and replacement shoulder straps due to laceration and impact hazards. The blower's shoulder straps Plastic buckles or the anti-static ground wire can be drawn into the blower fan and fan housing causing plastic pieces to be expelled from the machine, posing laceration and impact hazards. Now, if you're concerned that you have any of these products, you can go to www.recalls.gov and you can click on the link and it will show you a picture of the product. It will tell you exactly what you should do and, you know, should you turn it in for a refund you have to get it repaired somehow uh, it'll tell you all that if you click on the link I also have these posted on my Facebook page also at consumer review report so you can look and see what you're supposed to do if you are concerned that you have that particular product all right moving on Homestar recalls dressers due to tip over and entrapment hazards the recall dressers are unstable if they are not anchored to the wall, posing serious tip-over and entrapment hazards that can result in death or injuries to children. Kitchler Lighting recalls ceiling fans due to injury hazard that uh, the iron arms that hold the ceiling fan blades can detach during use, causing the blades to fall, posing an injury hazard. And Yamaha Guitar Group recalls digital wireless equipment for electric guitars due to fire and injury hazards. The lithium-ion battery can overheat and the battery cover can separate with force, posing fire and injury hazards. So that'll do it for the consumer product 
uh, recalls. Let's move on to the FDA uh, Food and Drugs Administration recalls safety alerts. And they deal with foods, medicines, and cosmetics. So let's move on down to... Let's see, our first one will be green chili chicken tamales. So let's scroll down. And again, I'm on www.recalls.gov. So in case you have any of these products in your refrigerator, you can go there and click on the link and see what you're supposed to do about that. Allergy alert issued for undeclared milk and green chili chicken tamales sold at Whole Foods Market stores in multiple states. Whole Foods Market is voluntarily recalling select green chili chicken tamales from stores across 24 states because they contain undeclared milk. People who have an allergy or severe sensitivity to milk run the risk of serious or life-threatening allergic reaction if they consume these products. Vita Food Products issues voluntary recall of mislabeled Vita Wild Herring Wine Sauce. And it also contains undeclared milk. Vita Food Products Inc. of Chicago, Illinois is notifying the public that it is recalling up to 8,376 individual plastic jars of 32-ounce Vita or Vita Wild Herring in wine sauce that are potentially mislabeled because they may contain sour cream and therefore may contain undeclared milk uh, let's see stonewall kitchen voluntarily recalls a limited amount of mislabeled ghost pepper salsa which contains ghost pepper queso so they are voluntarily recalling 4812 jars of its ghost pepper queso with an enjoy by date of 23 may 2021 is a small number of those were mislabeled as ghost pepper salsa Ghost pepper queso includes two allergens, milk and soy, that are not included in ghost pepper salsa. Dole Fresh Vegetables announces voluntary limited recall of HEB branded Tuscan Herb Salad Kit due to undeclared allergens. This recall is due to possible undeclared allergens, and those would be peanut, wheat, soy, and tree nuts in HEB branded Tuscan Herb Salad Kit which was manufactured by Dole for HEB. The incorrect master pack was in unintentionally used during the production of the salad. And by master pack, they mean kit with dressing and other toppings. Okay, let us go on to Meyer recalls selected mixed nuts due to undeclared Brazil nuts in product. Meyer is initiating a voluntary recall of 13,284 packages of mixed nuts due to potential risk of an undeclared tree nut allergen, and that would be Brazil nuts, sold at all Meyer stores and is being issued to its customers in cooperation with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Payro Family Farms Food Company issues alert on undeclared egg and milk allergens in zucchini trays. Paro Family Farms Food Company has initiated a voluntary product recall of its 11-ounce Zucchini Spiral Pesto Side Dish Kit with a run number code of 119627-2F used by date of 3-20-2020, which is uh, about five days from now, due to product mislabeling which did not declare the allergens of egg and milk.
Winko Foods LLC recalls frozen blackberries and frozen berry medley because of possible health risk. So they are recalling frozen blackberries in a 16 ounce bag and frozen berry medley in 16 ounce and 32 ounce bags. Now these are manufactured by Radar Farms of Linden, Washington. And they are being recalled because both products have the potential to be contaminated with the norovirus. Last one, cooked butterfly tail on white leg shrimp. And then uh, they are recalling that. A lot 2019.10.02. And uh, this is utilized in various prepared menu offerings with sell by dates ranging from 2 2020 and 3-13-2020 uh, because it has potential contamination. All right. Now, there was another uh, one that came across last week. Um, so I want to go ahead and give you that information. This was on, um, let me see, oh, Enoki Mushrooms. So let's take a listen about that. New at 5.30, a warning now to check your fridge. The CDC says some mushrooms are being recalled due to listeria contamination. I want to show you the look at them right now. The effects, it affects the enoki mushrooms from Sun Hung Foods. The white mushrooms have long stems and small caps. The CDC and the FDA have linked them to a listeria outbreak hitting 17 states, including Florida. Two people have gotten sick here. We've posted information on how to get a refund on abcactionnews.com slash recalls. Okay, so the CDC food safety alert. Uh, this recall information on March 9th, 2020, Sun Hong Foods, Inc. Recalled enoki mushrooms because they may be contaminated with listeria. Enoki mushrooms are white with long stems and small caps, as you heard on the broadcast. Uh, enoki mushrooms from Sun Hong Foods were sold in 7.05 ounce, 200 gram clear plastic packaging with a green label. Product of Korea is labeled on the front of the packaging and Sun Hung Foods Inc. is labeled on the back of the packaging underneath the barcode. These products can also be identified by the UPC code 7426-852-625-810. Again, 7426-852-625-810. Now, this investigation is ongoing to determine the source of contamination and if additional products are linked to the illness. So, advice to consumers, um, do not eat, serve, or sell. Of course, I don't think the consumers will sell them, but this is also advice to food service operators and retailers. So, do not eat, serve, or sell any recalled enoki mushrooms distributed by Sun Hung Foods, Inc. Check your refrigerator for recalled enoki mushrooms. Return them to the purchase location or throw them away. Do not eat any food made with recalled enoki mushrooms, even if some was consumed and no one became sick. Wash and sanitize any surfaces and containers that may have come in contact with the recalled enoki mushrooms. Listeria can survive in refrigerated temperatures and can easily spread to other foods and services. Follow these five steps to clean your refrigerator, wash surfaces with hot soapy water, 
wash containers with hot soapy water, or clean in the dishwasher, call your health care provider if you have consumed recalled enoki mushrooms and are experiencing symptoms of listeria infection. All right, so that will do it for the recall portion of the show. So let's move on to our general consumer news. And this week's topic will be the Nike Vaporfly shoe. All right, so instead of me explaining all that, I've already explained it at the beginning of the show. I'll turn it over to the CBS News. They did a... Uh, sort of an interview, I guess. And this video is from YouTube. So we'll hear the audio from it. Nike Vaporfly sneakers investigated for boosting athletes' performance. So let's go ahead and take a listen. Nike CEO Mark Parker announced that he will be stepping down effective next year. Parker has been at the head of the company for 13 years, but worked as an employee for Nike since 1979. His previous positions include product designers and co-brand president. Parker will be replaced by John Donahue, uh, Donahoe rather, in uh, January of 2020. Donahoe is currently a board member and the CEO of the cloud company ServiceNow. Nike says that they hope that Donahill will push the company to become more digital. But Nike may have another issue on its hands. The Zoom X Vaporfly sneaker is coming under scrutiny for giving athletes a seemingly unfair advantage in competition. In the last 13 months, runners who recorded the fastest marathon times ever were wearing the Vaporfly Nike. And now some athletes are demanding an investigation into the shoes ahead of the 2020 Olympics. So joining me now uh, with more on this is Axios Sports Editor Kendall Baker, who wrote the article on the story. So this is really fascinating to me because, you know, when we talked about uh, the gentleman who broke the two-hour record, not an official record for running a marathon, we didn't talk about the shoes right away, and I, you know, my mind was blown. And then when I found out about the shoes, I thought, oh, and in fact, I had read that the shoes could even maybe shave off. I mean, we're not talking about seconds here. We're talking about minutes. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a significant advantage. And um, the other interesting part about that is that actually the, the day after Elliot Kipchoge uh, broke that barrier, um, uh, Bridget Kozge actually shattered the women's marathon record at the Ch Chicago Marathon wearing a version of the same shoe. So it created a huge debate, just the fact that those two things happened in back-to-back -back days mm -hmm. and shined a really bright light on this issue of innovation and this, the arms race in, in running. So what's the technology here? What makes this shoe so effective? So basically, it's a, it's a combination of carbon fiber plates and midsole foam, which, you know, very technical, obviously. But in, in short, it essentially acts as a spring in the shoe. It saves the runner energy. And if you add that up over a long distance like a marathon, that's going to significantly uh, decrease their time. Is there anything sort of close to it already on the market? Because when you talk about, you know, um, uh, things that within the shoe that, uh, whether it's materials within the shoe that give you a bit of a bounce back, it seems like there are other shoes that do that. But clearly nothing is close to what this shoe does. Right, absolutely. I mean, that, that's the interesting thing about this as well is that, you know, Nike's obviously, there's a huge light shining on them right now, but that Saucony, you know, a lot of these other brands have similar shoes and they're obviously all competitors. They're going to they're gonna try and build, obviously, the almost identical shoe. So this isn't a Nike thing. This is a running, you know, as a, as a whole thing. 
Um, and there's, there's innovation going on you know, constantly, and that's going to continue. So that's why the IAAF's decision on this is so important, uh, because you know, they're, they're, they have to basically balance not curbing innovation, but also you know, drawing a line somewhere. Totally. So we're looking ahead to the 2020 Olympics, right? They are considering banning these shoes. What's the debate been like? I mean, is there a possibility that these shoes and this technology could be banned, at least when it comes to running? So when uh, the news first broke that runners were complaining, uh, it, it, you know, a lot of voices were saying that it was going to get, the shoes were going to get banned. I actually just saw this morning that it sounds like they might not get banned mm. uh, and the IAF might make a ruling that shoe, the only shoes that would be banned are shoes that provide a motor function for runners, I believe is the, the term they use. So very interesting. I think there was a lot of momentum building in, term, uh, in terms of the shoes being banned, but now it sounds like they might not be. So I think in the next week or so, we'll probably find out. Um, but regardless of that outcome, it's going to be very impactful, uh, particularly with the Olympics coming up. So when I heard about this debate, it obviously reminded me of the debate about 10 years ago or so when it came to the swimsuits that some swimmers in the Olympics were wearing, those sort of full, full body ones that were shaving off seconds off of their swim time. Those swimsuits were banned. Now you're saying that, you know, it, it's, it's on the fence whether or not these sneakers are going to be banned. What's the difference? It's a great comparison. I think it's like the perfect comparison because swimming and running are such basic sports, right? There's no equipment involved. It really is just your body. And so it's a very black and white issue. Um, I think the, the difference right now in terms of the scale is that with swimming, I think something like 130 world records fell uh, in yeah. the span of about 17 months yeah. when those uh, suits were released, whereas with the marathon, it's only been five so far. You also had this, those suits were at the Beijing Olympics, mm -hmm. um, and I think that added more pressure because it was on a you know, global uh, platform. People were, were seeing these records fall, and it was kind of you know, becoming a little ridiculous. So I wonder if this doesn't get banned before the Olympics, if you know, Kipchoge, for instance, run the marathon, he's the defending champion in another right. ridiculous time, then maybe there would be more pressure and these would get banned after the Olympics. But I do think that, that the Beijing Olympics were the main kind of uh, event that pushed the swimming world to ban those suits. Okay, so here's my other kind of kind of counter-argument. It's not really a counter-argument, but uh, talking to Eileen here, who works the floor, about this very topic. And she brought up the idea of bobsleds. And as an example, that there's some equipment that, you know, it's, it's, what, it's part of the sport to keep developing the technology. Um, and no one sort of says, well, your bobsled is too technologically advanced, so you can't compete. Could, could these shoes fall into that same category? The expectation is that, um, you know, not only will the athletes push their bodies, but their entire team will be pushing to find ways for them to remain better protected, but also perform better. Absolutely. I think, uh, again, going back to the, the, the sport of running being so basic, I think that's what makes this such an intriguing uh, conversation. You know, compared to bobsledding, for example, I think there's more involved than just the sled, right? There's a mm. lot more skill involved. Baseball had a lot of debates with bats, you know, years ago, but there's also more factors in baseball, whereas running, it's literally just running, and, mm. the, and the shoes are hugely important. I think that's why there's so much more pressure around this, is mm -hmm. because there's nothing else to regulate. Like, there, this, this is the main uh, equipment, if you will, and so I think that's where the running argument is, is so interesting, right. in that there's nothing else to really uh, regulate. Right, uh, so uh, we did reach out to Nike. Uh, we have not received a comment from them. I'll tell you what, Kendall, I don't know if they're going to be allowed in the Olympics, but as soon as I heard about it, I thought, I want, I want a pair just for my weekend runs, right? I, this is, might actually be a boost for Nike. 
Exactly. That, that's, I mean, the second this came out, I my, immediately in my head was, wow, this is maybe a genius marketing ploy. <laughs> right. I mean, I think $200, $200 shoe, oh, this guy just wore these and set this record that nobody ever thought would ever fall. Yeah. I'm going to go buy some of those and, <laughs> and, and, you know, run, you know, obviously uh, suddenly be the fastest person in my running club <laughs> on the weekends. Um, yeah. So it, it's very interesting in terms of the, you know, consumer uh, aspect to this because, the, the shoes they're selling uh, on the market are a little bit different than what Kipchoge wore. Uh, his were a little bit more extreme and a little bit more involved, but mm. the, the shoe they're selling on the market is still has those carbon fiber plates and that midsole foam. Yeah, the, the, his shoes are probably a little more than $200 too. Uh, Kendall Baker, thank you so <laughs> <Yeah>. much. <laughs> thank you. All right, so that gives you a little bit of background as to what's going on <laughs> with uh, track and field Olympics and, you know, the first thing that came to mind, actually, when they were talking about the technological restrictions was NASCAR. A couple years ago, maybe a few years ago, uh, there were restrictions that NASCAR put upon the cars. Uh, and, and that was the same debate, whether innovation should win out. Uh, you know, if somebody has the fastest car... Uh, then they should be the clear winner. Uh, but NASCAR has to put certain restrictions so that, you know, they're the same height off the ground, I guess. And, you know, if it's a fast racetrack, all the cars have to, you know, put on spoilers, et cetera, et cetera. So I, that's the first thing I thought of as NASCAR. When do you say that your car is too innovate, innovated, uh, because you're beating everybody on the track. And so, you know, y you should be able to, if you can figure out a way to make your car faster, you should be able to be able to do that. And same with the shoes, I think. So that was interesting. So then there was an article in the Wall Street Journal, Nike AlphaFly sneakers will also avoid Olympic ban. Nike's AlphaFly, uh, also the Vaporfly technology. That sparked a crackdown and also will go on limited sale at end of month, making them eligible for this summer's Tokyo Olympic Games. So um, I guess they're saying that uh, that that they um, they avoided the ban. Right. So in a crackdown on running sneakers spurred by high tech Nike, a clear winner is emerging. Nike Inc., a new restrictions introduced last week by Track and Field's world governing body, didn't just spare the company's controversial Vaporfly sneakers from a ban. They also set the requirements at levels that allow the next generation of Nike distance running shoes to sneak just under the limits. Nike said it's Air Zoom AlphaFly Next Percent, a prototype of which Iliad Kipkochi war in October to run a marathon in less than two hours falls within the new requirements. Two of the company's new designs, which will be released later in the spring, will also likely be eligible for competition before the Tokyo Games, giving Nike's performance-boosting shoes the broad blessing of international authorities while its rivals scramble to get similar sneakers to market. The shoe model worn by Kipkoji has one carbon fiber plate and a sole thickness of 39.5 millimeters for a European unisex size 42, which is about a U.S. men's size 8.5, according to Nike. That meets the rules of running governing body world athletics, which limits sole thickness 
to no more than 40 millimeters and allow the inclusion of rigid material like carbon fiber as long as it is one continuous plane. So Nike said it is prepared to offer the shoe in limited quantities online at the end of the month. That means it will meet another new requirement to be on the open market by April 30th to be allowed in the August 8th and August 9th Olympic marathons. Two of Nike's new designs, a training version of the Alpha Fly and a running spike, currently violate the new rules, but the sneaker giant will tweak at least one to meet the requirements. The company said it would attempt to change the running spike and make it available to customers by April. Since prototypes of Nike Vaporflies appear at the 2016 U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials, they have generated record-breaking performances and spurred controversy. Nike-sponsored athletes Gallen Rupp and Amy Craig won those trials, and Rupp uh, later finished third in the Rio Olympics Men's Marathon. Competing shoe brands have scrambled to create prototypes that mimic the Vaporfly, the new requirement to make these models available for sale in the open market in less than three months has frustrated competitors. Saucony sponsor Jared Ward, who finished sixth at the Rio Olympics Marathon and is racing in this month's trials, wore a new model of the 2019 New York City Marathon called the Endorphin Pro Runner's World Magazine, and then the Runner's World Magazine called this shoe, Endorphin Pro, the closest approximation we've seen to the Vaporfly. And a lot of companies are not happy because uh, the governing body of the uh, running world athletics, I guess you could call it, made this decision because they think that they put no thought into it and just said, yeah, you're, you're okay. You can, uh, and you can run your shoe in the Olympics. And so they're like new balance is not happy about it, but you know what? You got to keep up with the competition in order to stay alive. Right. All right. So I have, um, a video or actually it'll be audio since we can't see the video but this was uh, off of youtube as well this is a wall street journal uh video it's called the controversy behind nike's vaporfly running shoe explained so let's go ahead and take a listen introduction of the vaporfly to the running community really has changed um, what we think of as possible for running, particularly in the marathon. These shoes certainly are game-changing and transformative. This is a very sizable seismic shift. These are Nike's Vaporflies. Critics say the sneakers provide an unfair advantage to those who race in them, and that their revolutionary design threatens the very integrity of the sport itself. So does the technology inside them give an unfair advantage? And should they be banned from competition? With the Tokyo Olympics around the corner this summer, these are the questions facing the world of competitive running. A barrier once thought impossible. On October 12, 2019, elite marathoner Eliev Kipchoge ran 26.2 miles in less than two hours, breaking one of sport's greatest barriers. Bridget Koske. The next day, fellow Kenyan Bridget Koske shattered the women's marathon record in Chicago. What both runners had in common was what was on their feet. Both athletes were wearing versions of Nike's Vaporfly racing shoes, which according to the company, allow runners to improve their times by up to 4.2%. And if recent records are any indication, those claims may actually be true. 
Since the vapor flies were released, male runners in the Nike shoes have run five of the top 10 fastest marathon times ever recorded. And it's not just the elites that have embraced the vapor fly. If you visit the starting lines of any road race in the United States today, from a major marathon to a local 5K, chances are you'll come across the distinctive neon sneakers. But Nike's success hasn't come without controversy. Ever since the shoes were introduced in 2017, they've ignited a fierce debate about whether the Vaporflies should be banned from competition. Until now, Track's international governing body, World Athletics, has provided only a loose guideline on sneaker tech. Shoes must not be constructed so as to give athletes any unfair assistance or advantage. In a statement to the Wall Street Journal, Nike said, we respect World Athletics in the spirit of their rules, and we do not create any running shoes that return more energy than the runner expends. But with the Tokyo Olympics around the corner this July, World Athletics launched an investigation into the vapor flies, the results of which are expected before the end of the month. A person in the street could say, well, why would you not use them? Because they give you an advantage. The same people might say, well, why don't you allow doping? Because that can be accessible to everybody. And if it doesn't harm them, then why can't they just do doping? And some people have suggested that the shoe issue right now is a form of mechanical doping. Peter Thompson has spent his career coaching professional distance runners all over the world. So you've got Alberto Salazar, Rudy Chapa. Like many in the running community, he thinks the vapor flies should be banned from competition to protect the integrity of the sport. The definition of cheating is doing something to deliberately gain an unfair advantage. Why are we doing our sport? Are we doing it purely for performance or is it for the competition of person against person? If it's about competition person against person, then the need for a level, level playing field is, is exemplified. To find out why the vapor flies have proven to be such a breakthrough in shoe design, we visited the University of Michigan's Orthopedic Research Laboratory for a dissection. Today we're going to cut open a pair of Nike Vaporfly Next Percent to see what's inside. So this shoe has different features that I'd like to point out to you. First, the shoe has a new type of foam. PBAX, which Nike calls Zoom X, is a foam found in airplane insulation that is squishier, bouncier, and lighter than the foams typically found in running shoes. Second, you can see the full-length carbon fiber plate, um, and this carbon fiber plate um, adds a lot of uh, stiffness and stability um, to the shoe as well. The science behind how the Vaporfly's foam plate system works still isn't entirely clear. But what is, is that this technology could be transformative for the sport. We are in a place right now where there is a before the vapor fly and after the vapor fly period. We're in, we're in the transition period right now. It's a very uncomfortable place as a fan of the sport and as a competitor in the sport. Jeff Burns is a professional ultra runner and a University of Michigan doctoral candidate in biomechanics. Last year, Burns co-authored a paper in which he argued for a compromise between those who would like to see the shoes banned from competition and those who see the vapor flies as the next step in the sport's technological innovation. So my co-author and I recommended that we simply regulate the midsole thickness of the shoe, much like 
weighing our shot puts before we throw them. The idea is limit the thickness of the midsole. So then now moving forward, we have a definition that shoes are 40 millimeters or shoes are 35 millimeters or shoes are 45 millimeters or less. We have that space in which to innovate. Until the Vaporflies came along, marathon racing shoes mostly relied on thin rubber soles. The big idea being the lighter the shoes, the faster you run. For years, shoe companies have offered products to improve performance, but at least for running, no one product clips the competition in the same way the Vaporflies have today. So in distance running, there hasn't been a profound technological advancement in the past 40 to 50 years. The Vaporfly represents the first time that we've seen a distinct seismic shift in something that benefits performance. Burns's proposal allows for shoes like the Vaporflies to remain in competition, but with clear limits on how the technology can be developed going forward. This middle ground approach in sport isn't without precedent. I am wearing the fastest suit in the world, and that's a fact. During the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, every swimmer who could get one was wearing Speedo's laser bodysuit. Developed with help from NASA, the laser was a technological breakthrough in swimwear design that cut down on the body's friction in water by mimicking shark skin. And world records just crashed. FINA, the world governing body of swimming, banned the suit after an unprecedented number of swimmers broke world records in it. But FINA's policy, like Burns's proposal, was a compromise. Although full-length suits were banned, the laser's revolutionary material is still permitted in competition swimwear. We wanted to get a runner's first-hand account of how the vapor flies compared to the competition. So Burns recruited a fellow competitive marathoner and Olympic marathon trials qualifier, Uris Silinex. So to compare the Vaporfly with conventional shoe, the Adidas Adios Boost, we're going to have you run two miles on the treadmill. The plan was to have Uris run a mile in his training shoes, Adidas's Adios Boost. And it's the shoe that the previous marathon world record was set in. And then a mile in the Vaporflies. Good work, dude. How did it feel in the shoes? They're great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't had a shoe that's like it. Just the energy return, you feel like you're, you can hear the bouncing on the, yeah. on the treadmill when you're running on these. Interacting in the ground in these, everything, you just feel it way more. It feels yeah. harder, like you feel, feel mm -hmm. like you feel the pounding a little bit more. And in the vapor flies, you're just on a nice pillow. With the Olympic trials approaching this June, qualifiers like Silinex are waiting for World Athletics' guidance on what they'll be allowed to lace up in come race day. Okay, so they did their own little tests, and I have a, a video clip uh, from Runner's World who did a more in-depth test to see if they, uh, if they indeed seen a difference in the shoes but let's uh there was a wall street journal article about um well it was entitled at u.s olympic marathon trials it was all about the shoes written by rachel bachman 
And at the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials in Atlanta, the top three men and top three women qualified to represent the U.S. at the Tokyo Games, which start July 24th. All three male qualifiers and the third-place female finishers wore shoes from Nike's controversial Vaporfly line, which features thick soles and a carbon fiber plate. Vaporflies made their debut as prototypes in the 2016 U.S. Marathon Trials. Then this drew complaints from critics who said they gave runners an unfair advantage and spurred competitors to create their own versions. The top two men wore the Nike Alpha Fly, the most recent model in the line, which Nike offered free to all competitors at the trials. Abdurrahman wore an earlier Vaporfly model. Riley, the men's second place finisher, didn't have a shoe sponsorship and chose to run in the Nike Alpha Flies. So, on and on, it goes on about the, you know, controversy and is is it really giving people an edge? So, let's go to the Runner World video. And they do an, a most extensive test on the shoe. And they pretty much come up with the uh, same conclusion. So, let's take a listen. This is the Nike Vaporfly Next Percent, the shoe that has rewritten the record books in the world of running. Today we are going to look at why it's been so controversial and what makes it so fast. So Jeff, let's talk about the Vaporfly and what makes it so good. It's as light as any racing flat you can buy, yet it's still soft and very responsive. But how did we get here from these shoes that we have here? Yeah, when you look at this shoe, I mean, it's thick. It looks like it's a big, heavy shoe, right? But it's as light as any of these shoes on the table. It's actually lighter than any of these shoes. This was the, the typical kind of racing shoe we had for a long time. It's flat, it's low to the ground. It uses EVA. This is the New Balance 1400 that I raced in a lot. And the goal was, with racing flats, was the lighter shoe was the faster shoe. So you wanted nothing. I mean, you can see through these uppers. This is hard foam. Right. Then Boost came along around 2012. And so the shoe you're holding here, it's still thin. It's still low to the ground because Boost was heavy. This midsole material is really uh, responsive. When you sink into it, it returns a lot of energy. In our labs, the energy return was off the charts. But it's a thin layer because it's really heavy. This was the shoe that evolved and people started setting world records in. Right, this was Dennis Cometto's shoe, which was, if I remember correctly, the last shoe prior to the Vaporfly era to break uh, the marathon world record, right? Yeah, undeniably, it was a fast shoe. It was a racing flat built for the marathon. That boost foam saves your legs a little bit. Now comes P-Bax, and this material, it's thick, but it's so lightweight and so airy that you can really get the benefit of the cushioning without paying the weight penalty. So it's as light as those shoes, it's as fast as those shoes, it's going to save your legs. There's some other really neat stuff that's happening inside here we're going to talk about, and then we're going to look at how it actually relates in the real world when we throw you on the treadmill. Fantastic. Well, I brought my fast legs today and we're going to go and compare these shoes head to head and see how the difference in the foam, the construction, affects my running economy. And then we're gonna put this shoe through the bandsaw and we're gonna look inside and see exactly what makes this shoe so special. All right, so we have Dan's young legs up here on the treadmill and it's speed day for Dan. 
We got him running at 11 miles per hour on the treadmill, which is about a 530 mile. Now we tested the 4% shoes in the Runner's World Shoe Lab and we're recreating that test here so we can get a sense for how these shoes perform at speed. What we saw in the lab and what we expect to see here is that at a steady speed held by the treadmill, he's gonna run with a longer stride length, a lower cadence, and a lower heart rate in the Nike Vaporflies. Vaporflies feel so much sketchier to run on the treadmill. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, I try not to look that tired. And I was watching the data in real time on my watch because I had your sensors synced up, so I threw it into Garmin here. And what we can see is you ran five and a half minutes in each one, each shoe. And the Vaporfly is the top shoe, the Adios is the middle, and the 1400 is on the bottom here. And if we scroll across, we can look at your heart rate. Your average heart rate was lower in the Vaporfly and climbed up as you went along. You maxed out at 195, which was fun watching you get up that high. You topped out at 188 in the Vaporfly. But what might be a more telling stat is we did see your average run cadence. It's not, it doesn't look like a big deal here. You were down at 187 average for the Vaporfly and a little bit higher for the others. You were over 190 a lot when I was watching in real time. It today. felt like it, yeah. Um, but we can see here also in your uh, average ground contact time. Now we're talking milliseconds here, so this is a pretty small thing. Um, you were on the ground 209 milliseconds in the Vaporfly and a little bit longer in the other two shoes. So you're spending more time on the ground. Again, this isn't highly scientific. It's not like what we did in the Runner's World Shoe Lab when we first tested the 4% shoe and a little bit more controlled environment, but it was something fun here at the office that we can do to sort of recreate this scenario and see, is there something to the shoe? Right, and what's interesting about the ground contact time is that if I just had to guess and I didn't know anything about these shoes, I would have guessed that I was on the ground for longer. But the data shows the exact opposite. The New Balance had the longest ground contact time. Boost was right in the middle, and the Nike uh, was the least amount of time on the ground. Now that we've seen what you do in the shoes, let's look inside the shoes to see uh, what the materials are that are making this happen. typically had was a really thin midsole. You can see this isn't really thick on the older shoes, but by comparison, the forefoot of the older flats were really close to the ground. Look how thick this forefoot on the Vaporfly is. There's a lot of foam underneath there, and even in the heel, there's a ton of foam. You can see this black line running through. That's the carbon fiber plate that everybody talks about, and they think it's a spring. We're not quite sure exactly how it's interacting, but we do know one thing from lab testing and from what we've seen. It basically stiffens the shoe. Most of these shoes have some kind of stiffening agent in them, by the way. And what it does is it extends the forces, so you have greater force way out here at the tips of your toes when you're towing off. Uh, than you do in other shoes where you might have the force greater further back underneath the ball, the foot. But you're really getting the benefit from this foam. This foam is very soft. It compresses really easily, but it rebounds really quickly and takes its shape again and is ready for your next stride. So it uh, continues to deliver excellent cushioning throughout the course of your marathon. So it's also super lightweight, unlike the Boost. That'll give you a lot of cushioning, but you're gonna pay the weight penalty as well. So over the course of a marathon, that's gonna equal time. It's gonna slow you down. This 
plate here that they ran in, it's not just a straight plate through there, it's curved. You can see the, the sharp right. arc there. And people have talked about this in the past. What that really allows you to do is have a little bit more comfort because it is so stiff. The first thing I noticed ever stepping into a Vaporfly was that forefoot. The amount that you can just sink in is incredible. You don't get that with you know shoes like the Adidas and the New Balance that use more traditional constructions. And as good as this shoe is, you don't feel that. The other thing too, I mean, if we were to flex these, you can see how much the Adidas is willing to flex with the boost and no plate. This thing, I mean, cutting it in half does help it flex but it's still, you see that flex is kind of more evenly distributed across the shoe like you were talking about. Yeah, it's a very stiff shoe regardless. When you put it on, you really feel it, and you can see why now with that plate there. In the Runner's World Shoe Lab, when we did the testing originally on the 4%, we actually measured muscle activation and found that uh, various areas that were activated less in the Vaporfly than in other shoes, corresponding to really just using less energy. You can do that, and you can get down the road further at the same speed using less energy. That's gonna keep you fresher for later in a race. Yeah, I remember my first boost shoe, and it was a similar thing, but nowhere near the magnitude of running in the Nike for the first time, which, you know, based on the treadmill data and what we've seen here, it's very difficult to argue that there isn't a serious technological advantage. I don't think EVA is dead, however. I mean, we have these new materials. This is a PBAX-based foam. It's really expensive, though. That's why the shoe costs $250. I only use these on race day. It's a tool in my toolbox for going as fast as possible on race day. I don't even wear them for workouts. I'll pull out the 1400 or something like the Adios for workouts feel plenty fast, but then get that extra little bit of benefit on race day through the next percent. Well, Jeff, now that we know how these shoes work, what does this mean for the average runner? Well, so it's undeniable that tech is here. I mean, th these shoes are radically different than what we had. And really, we're gonna have this from whatever brand you prefer. Nike got there first, um, but they're not the only ones working on it. We've got people working on other shoes from other brands. Whether you wanna run a 50K, Hoka made one of those, something for longer. Whether you want a purpose-built shoe for a mile, New Balance made one that's just built for going a mile on the road. Nike built these really for the marathon specifically, but you see people running in them from 5K on up. So every brand is working on something they're using these materials to make the fastest shoe. So it's undeniable that the tech is here, and it's, it's a lot of fun to run fast and feel fast, right? It is, yeah, um, and that's the question going forward, you know. Is this about putting an asterisk on performances? Is it about shoe doping? So tell us in the comments, are you upset that these shoes are influencing performances, maybe at your local 5K in your age group, or are you excited that you can run faster than ever and achieve your goals with the help of new technology? All right, there you have it. Our, our um, Nike Vaporflies and how they are sparking controversy as far as innovation versus it, does it give unfair comp competition to other uh, athletes who have to wear the other shoes that are not so innovative. All right. Now, I do have more shoe news, actually, if that's even possible. But this one's kind of humorous. So, And this is an article from the Wall Street Journal. It's entitled, These Crocs Have a Very Original Recipe by Spencer Jacob. KFC-themed Crocs with a fried chicken scent will soon be available. Harlan Sanders, the curmudgeonly colonel who founded Kentucky Fried Chicken, admitted publicly that he was not too proud of having his name associated with some of his restaurants. Some four decades after his death and more prominent than ever as a virtual pitchman, 
one wonders what he would think of the latest marketing brainwave, KFC-branded Crocs. The famously ugly shoes will carry the same design as the iconic red-striped chicken bucket and will be on sale for $59.99 this spring. While that is a lot for plastic footwear with holes in it, these will be a feast for more than the eyes. The classic clog come with two removable chicken-scented charms, which, depending on the wearer's hygiene, may be an improvement to those standing nearby. A little over a year ago, KFC launched an 11 Herbs and Spices fire log that made homes smell like fried chicken. They sold out and are available again through Walmart. The ordering site warns bird brain buyers not to put face directly near the fire. If fans risked third-degree burns, then KFC and Crocs just may be onto something with the bucket clogs. Of course, for the same cash outlay, fans can snag 36 pieces of the Colonel's famous recipe chicken and wear normal shoes. Now, here's a description of the shoes. The soles of the shoes are the color of the bucket that KFC puts their chicken in. The tops and the straps of the Crocs is a picture of the fried chicken. And an added bonus attached to the tops of the Crocs is a plastic fried chicken drumstick. And of course, they mentioned earlier about the two removable chicken scented charms attached to them as well. So <laughs> that sounds pretty funny. I can't believe that they would actually have that. I, I myself would not buy that. But, you know, maybe there's a market for that since there was a market for those fire logs that uh, smelled like the fried chicken. All right. So this is the end of our show. The Consumer Review Report where we deal with consumer issues. And um, if you have any comments or any questions on what you heard on the show today about the Nike Vaporflies or those fried chicken crocs, you can contact me via email at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. Also, if you have any ideas of any products or services that you would like to hear on the show, either you want to hear information on a product or service or you would like to hear a review on the product or service, you can contact me via email at consumerreviewreport uh, at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at consumerreviewreport and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesports. So for any reason that, uh, you know, maybe you want to rave about a product or maybe you want to give a thumbs down to a product that you have used and, um, you know, you want to tell us about it, you can, again, email consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. So... This is the Consumer Review Report on WMCK.FM, a service of Tube City Online, Tube City Community Media, heard Sunday at 4 p.m., Tuesday at noon, and Thursday at 9 a.m. 
I'm Diane Rebecca wishing everyone a safe and good week.